Hello everyone, I'm Olivia. And I'm Bella. And we're prevention educators for New Directions, the Domestic Violence Shelter, and Rape Crisis Center of Knox County, Ohio. You're listening to Table Talks. We hope that listening to this podcast gives you an inside look into the world of domestic and sexual violence. Throughout this series, you will hear from individuals from all walks of life, from preventionists, advocates, and community partners to survivors themselves. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Table Talks. Today, we have a very special guest with us from ODVN. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to kind of throw it over to you. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, sharing your role within your agency, and then kind of your primary responsibilities as well. Absolutely. Um, Good morning, and thank you, Bella. Uh, My name is Cheryl Stahl. I am the Substance Use Mental Health Program Director for the Ohio Domestic Violence Network. What that means is that I'm primarily assisting shelters with how to best serve survivors with substance use and mental health concerns. For years and years, it's been a struggle within shelters to really know how to best serve and offer services specifically for those concerns. and. So the Ohio Domestic Violence Network finally found funding um, to hire me so that I can both provide training and technical assistance as well as implementation of services within shelters to meet the needs of people regardless of where they are on the Mm -hmm. the spectrum of change. Meaning you have survivors who come in who are in recovery from substance use, whose mental health concerns are managed um and you have survivors who that's not the case for Mm -hmm. and my primary role is to really help shelters survive uh, offer services for survivors regardless of where they fall on that spectrum so harm reduction strategies for example for people who are not in a position where they feel they can seek help for their substance use or don't are ready to do that Mm -hmm and recovery services for people who come into shelter who are already in um, a state of abstinence or non-use of of drugs um, or who again whose mental health concerns are managed or they feel able to to um, you know do life without you know having to be in treatment or you know um, get services for those things so we're already in services Mm-hmm. So, yeah, primarily that's my my role with the shelters okay. with concerns. Wow, that's that's huge. That's important right there. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a big undertaking for sure. But. Yeah, I bet. I bet so. Um, so you had said that you kind of um, work with shelter staff with different trainings and things about how to implement those programming, that programming. Um, so what do, what do some of those trainings look like? For most shelter staff, obviously they're very well versed in domestic violence, intimate partner violence, the trauma that comes with that, the the manifestations of trauma that come from that. But not a lot of shelter staff were receiving direct training on um, substance use, mental health, uh, harm reduction, what Mm -hmm. that looks like, what that could mean for survivors. Um, I do a training, so I do the sort of 101 versions of this is what it means to 
be addicted to substances. This is what addiction looks like in people. Mm-hmm. This is how it comes out in the in trauma responses and what you might see in shelter and how you can, um, you know, work with survivors when they're in um, a state of crisis or using substances and with mental health um, and mental health training, de-escalation, you know, how to work with people with persistent and severe mental health concerns as well as those yeah. with um, mental health concerns that, you know, are don't present as severely as some others do. Mm-hmm. Um, so just offering some practical kind of hands-on strategies for, for working with um, people who are manifesting those things. The harm reduction presentation and training that I do really just introduces staff to what it means to do harm reduction. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's primarily within the scope of substance use. Yeah. Uh, but really to just, you know, dispel some myths and some preconceived ideas about what harm reduction can mean and what it can look like. There's lots of ways to, to do that without it being, uh, you know, something that feels a little more, you know, like safe consumption sites. You know, I think a lot of people think of that when they when they hear harm reduction and that there's a lot of things on the spectrum of harm reduction that you can do um, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a space in your shelter to have people using drugs. Yeah. Um, uh, so what I'm, so I'm provided training for that, provided training on motivational interviewing, uh, the therapeutic technique that really helps people engage with others um, to talk about change mm-hmm. and how people, you know, look to change behaviors and how staff can really just learn how to communicate, I think, differently about what change looks like for people and how yeah. scary and difficult that can be. So, yeah, just offering basically sort of the, the again, one-on-one training mm-hmm. just to be, get people familiar and comfortable with talking about these concerns and issues with survivors. And, um, and really, whatever shelters ask for, if they have a specific need, like if they're in, in a specific community that has... Um, you know, a, a lack of resources or they needed training on something more specific than just the general one-on-one type of trainings, yeah. um, I can, um, you know, tailor trainings to whatever the specific needs of the shelters are as well. Okay. And so do you work with shelters all across the state of Ohio? Yes. The, the, eventually, okay. and I'll clarify <laughs> that a little bit. Um, the, Foundation, Health Path Foundation is the primary funder of my program, and that's three years of funding, and over the course of three years, each year we add shelters to the project. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the first year we worked with um, five shelters in mostly northeast and northwest uh, counties, and the second year we'll add five to seven more, third year we'll add five to seven more Roughly, okay. um, goal at the end of the project is to have about thirty shelters. However, oh, wow. I can offer trainings and technical assistance to all of the shelters in the state of Ohio. Um, not all of the counties that I work with will be Health Path counties, mm-hmm. but um, but you know, for the purposes of that funding and who primarily funds my program, the the goal will be about thirty shelters by the end of the three years of the grant. That's that's awesome. Yeah, that's very. really really cool. Is that overwhelming at all to think about? <laughs> um, 
Uh, I mean, it, it is in the sense that, and, you know, I don't know for certain, mm-hmm. but it's from what I've heard um, and from what most people know, ODVN is the first to have a specified position for substance use and mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, don't you know necessarily quote me on that. There certainly could be a coalition in this in the country that has this uh, that has this position. But to our knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, we don't we don't know of one. Um, so it's sort of like the first of its kind. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's a little daunting to mm-hmm. think about, like, yeah, I got to like, create this thing that hopefully is going to be really amazing and, and could be something that other uh, coalitions look to, 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 you know, create something for themselves. Yeah. Um, and listen, if there's a, another coalition person listening who's like, hey, wait a minute, I do this, call me, let me know. <laughs> yeah. you, know you guys can let touch base, you can touch base, compare notes. Yeah, exactly. Like, let me know how things are going. Because, yeah, but listen, you know, I I am really passionate about this work. I'm really, really driven to make the experience for people who use drugs and and people with mental health concerns in in shelter and with um, intimate partner violence programs um, who may not be shelters really have the best experience they can have and and help equip the staff to, at, at these programs, to feel confident in Mm -hmm. serving survivors with these concerns and really feel like they're giving the best service because I know that I know that that's what they want to do yeah absolutely and then can you give any sort of idea of what and this is might be a pretty broad question but can you give any idea as to what kind of the correlation is between like substance use, mental health and intimate partner violence? Yeah. You're, what's interesting about that question is, you know, I think the general uh, default is to look at things in individual silos. Yeah. You know, if, you're, if you're a person who uses substances, you go to these services. If you're a person with mental health concerns, you go to these services. And the fact of the matter is, um, you know, and again, I'll, I'll throw out uh, statistics that, you know, um, again, don't quote me, but uh, but roughly I'd say about 60 to 70 percent. If you look at most places that offer statistics on these uh, on, on this these issues, you're going to see about 60 to 70 percent of people who have experienced intimate partner violence also use drugs and or have a mental health concern or people who use drugs also have trauma in their history. People with mental health concerns also have trauma in their history. Yeah. Um, I know I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor in the state of Ohio. All of the 17 years of my direct service with clients was working with a substance using population. And just prior to coming to ODVN, I was the program manager for a 23 bed women's recovery housing facility in Portage County, Ohio. Okay. And I can tell you for sure that of the 23 women in that building at any given time, firmly 70 to 80% of them had trauma in their history. And that's trauma starting in childhood, continuing into adolescence, continuing into adulthood. So there's multiple layers of trauma. So you really don't ever 
well, you really don't mostly see one without the other. For sure. Um, they, they are absolutely interwoven and overlapping in, in almost every individual who experiences them mm-hmm. without question. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it makes sense because I imagine that substance use or, or whatever that substance that's being used is, is being used mostly as maybe a coping mechanism of some sort. So for Domestic Violence Awareness Month, New Directions, kind of our theme is like champions for survivors. We did our Christy Martin event um, where um, a female boxer came, spoke about her experience with domestic violence. Very powerful, moving event. Um, And that's kind of our theme for these podcasts as well. Interviewing people who are out there advocating for survivors um, in, in kind of different at different community levels as part of different agencies. And so I want to ask you, when you hear kind of the phrase champions for survivors, what, what do you think of what comes to mind for you? I, I think that a, a champion for a survivor is a person that works tirelessly for the rights and dignity of, of survivors. Mm-hmm. But I think in addition to that, you do so without regard to the popularity of what you might have to do that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, just thinking about myself and working with, you know, substance using population, um, there's a lot of stigma, a lot of shame, a lot of, a, a lot of, um, obstacles to face with public opinion, with legislation, with political attitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the champions for survivors are the people who will go forward and do that and not care about whether it's a popular thing to do, whether people are going to get behind you um, for the cause that you're, that you're you know, championing for and the people mm-hmm. that you're working hard for. Um, I think you have to do that without without being preoccupied with whether or not it's it's gonna you know make people happy or not yeah Uh, these are individuals who you know go through insurmountable uh odds and Mm -hmm. continue to fight and and we don't if they can do it we can do it yeah if these survivors can keep moving forward despite what they've experienced and despite all of that stigma and some of the negative, you know, things that they have to hear and go through and systems they have to navigate, you know, we, we can do that. Yeah. We can do too. Absolutely. And so what do you think, kind of a two-part question, what do you think is the most challenging part of being a champion for survivors, but also what do you think is the most rewarding part of that role as well? Uh, gosh, I, I mean, the challenging parts, I think, are just, it's really navigating the systems, I think, just both for the survivors and the people who are serving survivors. Mm-hmm. It's navigating systems that don't always understand or, or really know uh, what intimate partner violence means and what it looks like, what substance use means, what it looks like, mm-hmm. um, and, and why people experience it. And, um, you know, same thing with mental health, you know, just that sort of lack of understanding or knowledge. And, and often the people who don't really understand it very well are the ones, you know, creating legislation and, and yeah. <laughs> things. 
So, you know, being in service provision is in part having to battle against that, you know, there's still, uh, you know, the, the opinions that have driven this work for and, and legislation that has driven this work for so long, um, you know, really continuously working to educate and helping people understand mm-hmm. when laws and, and public opinion is not supportive of survivors. And that's a difficult and challenging thing to do. It's hard to change opinions. Laws don't change opinions. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, that's that's a, definitely a challenge. I, the rewards, I, I can tell you there were seeing people come from the absolute depth of despair mm-hmm. uh, just just the worst of what they could imagine experiencing in their lives and fighting to a point where they felt they had control back felt they had power felt they had hope and a future and the ability to um, you know, parent their children and, and live in their own home and work a job that they feel good about themselves and all of those things. I mean, you can't, it, it's difficult to measure how that feels. Yeah. Because I've seen it so many times working with people who go from the depth of their addiction to recovery and it, there's really just no way to to describe what that looks like and how that feels to see that, mm-hmm. to see someone achieve that and the, the pride that they have in themselves and what they've done. So, yeah, it makes me emotional. So Yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> but, it's yeah. So, so that's, I think, just the rewarding part. It's just being part of that, like, let them allowing us to be part of that journey yeah. and to help them navigate that journey is... Just a, it's a privilege. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's something that most people don't get to be a part of. Like most, most people don't have that privilege to be a part of that and watch that success and watch that empowerment. So, I mean, I, <clears throat> I can completely, completely understand where you're, where you're coming from with that. But maybe someone is, you know, listening to this podcast and they're thinking, you know, I really want to go out and I really want to advocate for survivors. I want to advocate for mental health or substance use and abuse or that sort of thing. So what maybe words of wisdom or if you could share a piece of advice that you have for people who maybe want to go out and be that champion for survivors, what would, what would, what's something you would tell that person? I would tell them that it is probably the most rewarding thing that they will do. Mm -hmm. I would tell them to really know and examine what motivates them to go into, into this field. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and really look at how always go into it with the adage of sort of, you know, first do no harm. You know, these are, these are individuals who have been harmed by almost every system they have been in in one way or another. Um, so know, know your motives, know your, your drive and your passion and where it comes from, um, to give the best possible service that you can always, uh, you know, regardless of, you know, what might be happening, 
um, for you, your role with the survivor is always to give the best service you can give mm-hmm. and, and be, be that champion for them, which means you gotta, you know, you gotta push through the hard stuff. It's not yeah. always easy. You're not always going to see the results that you want or perhaps expect. I think the thing that I had to learn very early on in, in, in clinical work is I am not responsible for their successes and I am not responsible for their quote unquote failures for lack yeah. of a better word. I don't bear that responsibility, but again, I'm privileged to be in that journey with them. So when they succeed and if I've contributed anything to that, to that journey, to that walk that they're taking, then, you know, I'm I'm absolutely thrilled and and empowered by that. Um, But it, but they didn't do it because of me and they didn't do it because of something I did. They did, uh, they did it on their own. And yeah. we are there to just walk alongside of them. Um, so you, you'll burn out real quick if you expect that what you do is the thing that's going to to change them. Uh, you know, yeah. what I mean, or make their life better. It's not something. There's no magic sentence or or, or words that we're going to give them that's going to that's going to do that. But. The, the words and, and things that we give them and help that we give them um, make their path a little easier to walk. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we're there to do. Yeah. And I think what you said about it's it's not about telling someone what they should do, but walking alongside them. I think that that's something that I have even consistently heard throughout school and, you know, the professional environment. And that is, I think, such a perfect visual, too, to sum it up. Like you're just simply side by side, just kind of supporting. And I think that's very valuable advice. Um, And then last question for you, because you had mentioned, you know, as a part of giving advice, you know, urging someone who wants to be a champion to really think about where their passion stems from or where it comes from. So where does your passion come from for this work? Because it is so challenging and you, you do have to navigate a lot of ups and downs and difficulties, I imagine. So you have to have a lot of passion for that. I, I do. And, you know, I don't, I've thought about this and, you know, of course I've been asked this throughout my career. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, you know, put one thing or moment or, or you know, really introspectively find that that thing that makes it my passion what I will say is that I knew from the first when I was doing my internship and I sat in my first group at the agency which I did my internship for you know the first intensive outpatient treatment group I sat in I knew instantly um, these are my people that these are these are the people that I want to work with and help and walk alongside of. Like, I just knew yeah. I'm not a person in recovery. Um, I haven't had to, you know, walk that path. Thank goodness. But, mm-hmm. um, but it's just, you, you look at the injustices and you look at the things that, that the people who have to, experience these things go through and, and you just think yeah, man if I, could, if I if there's one thing I can say or do that makes this a little bit easier um, then 
you know, I, I want to try. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think it's just the totality of, of that life experience for them, that what they've been through, that just really drives me to want to always give the best that I can to them. And, and I don't know, like I said, I, I don't know that I can point at one particular thing. And I think it's just their strength is just mm-hmm. really, um, it's amazing. Yeah. It's really amazing. Yeah. It's something that's, you can't, it's hard to put into words. It, yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely is. But, but you know, when you feel it, yeah. um, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things that, that, yeah, you may not be able to, you know, obviously, uh, articulate it very well, yeah. but, um, but you know, when you feel it and, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's just, uh, it just sort of, you just feed off of the strength of, of the people who have had to go through what, um, what they've had to go through. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, I, I wish that I, I would hope that if I am ever in anything remotely similar to the circumstances they've been in, that I would have a quarter, an eighth, a sixteenth of the strength that, that these individuals have. Um, so, yeah. you know, it's just, it's really inspiring. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely amazing. And honestly, the work that you do and ODVN as a whole does is amazing as well. Just offering support, not only to survivors, but also the staff that helps support survivors, because that is so, so important. Um, so I want to thank you for the work that you do. Um, and I'm really glad I got an opportunity to learn more about it as well. Um, but yeah, and, and thank you again for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. And I've really enjoyed chatting with you. So thank you so much. And thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of Table Talks. Be sure to keep your eyes out for what New Directions has on social media. Have a great day.